Hello, I'm Rachel England and welcome to Brain Yapping, the podcast where comedian and actual qualified neuroscientist Dr. Dean Burnett gets put through his paces with brain-related questions by me, not a neuroscientist, without any advance warning or prior preparation, in a bid to demonstrate that science isn't always as slick as it seems. Okay, hello. Rachel. Hi, Dean. How's it going? All right. Uh, it's been a little while since we last sat down to do one of these. So, any updates? Any news? Um, well, you'll be pleased to hear that I did buy some shower gel. Good. Eventually. I am pleased to hear this. What what type of shower gel? Sanex. Sanex. I'm unfamiliar with the brand. It sounds androgynous, which sort of flies in the face of what we said last time. Well, it's largely because it was on offer, mm-hmm. um, and also because I've got sensitive skin. Mm. Um, and also because I read an article recently that said that very scientific-looking packaging, mm-hmm. so in Sanex, for example, which is white and blue and it looks very medicinal... It actually is designed in that way to give the illusion of, well, I suppose science, for want of a better word. <laughs> it says it's for sensitive skin. And because it looks scientific, you mm. apparently you're more likely to think, mm. ah, I, you know, trust my skin with this product rather than something which is a bit more flowery and luxe yeah. looking. Well, I'm a bit annoyed now because I think the illusion of science would be a better name for this podcast. But uh, <laughs> they are now. Yeah. Was it Sanex? When you said that, the first thing I thought of was uh, the evil corporation in a near future dystopia film of some sort. Uh, you know, like yeah, the, the renegade like Denzel Washington would fight against Sanex. Yeah, evil corp. Yeah, umbrella corp from the Resident Evil, which just basically makes zombies for no apparent reason. Headed up by John Badman. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> one of the things like, you know, create zombies plus question mark equals profit. Yeah, uh, with all the South Park. Thing. Marvel's ears are pricking up somewhere. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. We'll be in the Marvel universe soon. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. <laughs> It goes forever and it's like the bog, isn't it? A bit of admin from the last episode, because I had to edit it. Um, I think I made a slight error in that when we introduced ourselves and to the, the, the listeners, I sort of skated over a bit. I described you as my favourite vigilante and then started talking about your hair colour, which I feel was burying the lead somewhat. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's all like someone says, uh, so you were in prison. What was the food like? Well, it's not, not the first <laughs> question you were asked. So, um, are you okay to discuss why I refer to you as a vigilante? Yeah, sure. Basically, some years ago when I was in London, um, I was a victim of, of violent assault. And that kind of pissed me off. Yeah. Kind of pissed me off quite a lot, <laughs> to be honest with you, Dean. So, as a result of that, I ended up taking some self-defence classes and really just revised my outlook on a lot of things in life. And I think that that really helped, sort of helped herald a new no-bullshit attitude. <laughs> and actually, not long after Dean and I met for the first time in real life, hmm. not long before, rather, there'd been an incident in my house whereupon uh, there was a man attacking a woman. So I observed from the window and thought... Nope, not having this. <laughs> Much like Batman staring <laughs> down yeah. over Gotham. Mm. Nope, not having this. So I went down to intervene and ended up getting a black eye in the process. The, the important thing is she got away okay and the police came and hooked him off. So right. there we go. And there have been a few incidences like that since. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just as a, you know, just a disclaimer, I'm not in the habit of sort of no. prowling the streets yeah, and exactly like beating not. people up for the sake of it. It's, it's not a pastime of yours. It's just no. The circumstances have resulted in you getting stuck in no. more often than once, which is, which is I mean, I, I'm one of those guys who like to think I would if the opportunity presented itself, but thus far it hasn't. So I can't um, ever confirm that, whereas it's happened to you several times and you confirm that you can and do do that. So I think the vigilante title is valid. Relu- I'm the reluctant vigilante. Again, good title for a podcast. Should have read really that yeah. one. <laughs> I like the idea of a reluctant vigilante, though. It just sounds like, 
I don't know, like someone like Eeyore or something, <laughs> just plodding through life and yeah. then witnessing some crime and, oh, right, get, a, mm. get my nunchucks out then. Once again, it's clearly only a matter of time before Eeyore is in the Marvel Universe, so that actually does... You know, the most ambitious crossover of all time. <laughs> I'd watch it. Eeyore on the Hulk. Do some, go on some wacky adventures. Yeah. It's a buddy movie. <laughs> Mismatched pair. Oh, what hijinks. Yeah, hilarious consequences. Yes. Well, anyway, I think I've stalled long enough getting to... You know, the part where you ask me something and I have no clear what it's about. So, sure. Rachel, what have you got for me this week? What do you want me to talk about and with regards to how the brain works in this particular instance? Okay. Whatever you're interested in. Something that I know affects you deeply, okay, okay. especially in the context of our relationship. Mm-hmm. I would like to know why I feel compelled to eat your children. That is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And let me just let me just clarify that. We need some that. context here. Come not, on, no, that not is in just... a cannibalistic way. Yeah. But um, for listeners who are not familiar with Dean's adorable family, his kids look like actual Pixar characters. <laughs> Huge, emotional eyes and mm. smiling little faces, and they are exceptionally cute. They mm. are just the epitome of absolute cuteness. My daughter has been likened to Boo from once in yes, many a time. exactly. Yes. She is literally Boo. Mm. Um, and every time I uh, am hanging out with the kids or Dean puts a poster, uh, picture of them on social media, I just, I feel violent, <laughs> but not in an angry way. And, yeah. and just so we're very clear, not in a way that would mean I'd want to cause them any harm. Right, yeah. But... Like I want to squeeze them <laughs> so tight. Mm. Like I, I feel like I want to eat their little hands. And I don't know why that is. I'd like to get, again, just to clarify, yeah. no harm. We'll never hurt your children. We'll definitely <laughs> never eat your children. Yeah. But I want to know what is it that's going on in my head that makes me feel compelled to do this? And not just with your kids, you know, cute cats mm. or adorable puppies. Or even sometimes I've been in the supermarket and I've seen an individually sized quiche <laughs> and it's small and adorable. And I'm like, why do I feel this? Like, like I want to just kind of mush it. Why? <laughs> well, this is the first time I've uh, explored the concept of the cute quiche. The cute quiche. I, I know I'm not alone in yeah. that. That's probably the strip club somewhere, isn't the it? The cute quiche. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so again, I think it's also introduce the caveat that you're not especially maternal yourself you're not no. someone who has you know you're not you don't surround yourself with flowers and like chirpy little animals and you don't want children particularly so that's not something you know you're not one of those people it's who not no like it's that. it's not me looking at your kids going oh i want one you mm. know or i'm feeling broody um i'm not particularly maternal and i can really sort of give or take kids generally mm. but there's something in my brain that mm. just goes absolutely ballistic when i see a particularly adorable child yeah I say we were at a party recently and there was another child there and Rachel afterwards said, your kids are so cute, not like that other one, that, that awful one. So <laughs> that I, that yeah. awful boy. <laughs> you are on the record as expressing disdain and dislike for other children of a similar age. I so. was so harsh on a child. It's, <laughs> it's awful. I'm not proud of that. But no, but from what you said, it was warranted. You know, he wasn't exactly making it easy to like him. So that's... <laughs> No, because kids are annoying sometimes. I'm like, Mine are too. I'm not going to disagree. But your them. kids are so cute that they could be as annoying as hell and it would yeah, be forgivable. They're aware of this too. Okay, so this is actually something which has been explored in you know, in the literature a few times. It's the sort of, again, it's, it, it's the cute slash violent impulse mm. when you're faced with something which is, quote unquote, adorable. Because not, not, not everyone will feel like that. Some people just generally don't like kids at all, find them creepy and weird because they've got big heads and eyes with their tiny little bodies. It's really mismatched. It's odd. And I think some people think kids fall into the uncanny valley. Are you familiar with that one? 
No. The uncanny valley is a phenomenon whereby if you give anything human properties, it makes it usually more likable. So like a sock puppet. You got a sock puppet. You got a sock. You don't care about a sock. You put two eyes on it. Eh, look at that. It's a funny sock. It's cute. Like the Pixar lamp. Yeah. That, really. it's, it's a lamp. Who cares? But now it <laughs> yeah. looks like a little sad it's person. Or Wally, a perfect example. Yes. Like, you know, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a metal box. Yeah. He's a, a lovable metal box. I mean, how is that even possible? Pixar are probably wizards. He's a trash can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody loves him. <laughs> well, I can't, how could you not? Clearly. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a known thing. Something with human properties, recognizable human traits, does make us um, like it, especially with its childlike traits, which we'll obviously come on to. Uh, so, like, the more human something is, the more likable it is. Like, you know, you get Muppets and things, everyone likes them because they have, you know, arms and legs and they have all the funny properties. So, logically, closer to human something gets, the more likable it is. Uh, to a point when it's almost exactly human, but not quite. So, we're thinking like 90s CGI, like Polar Express and stuff. You know, when, ah, yeah. no, Pixar didn't do human characters at the time because you make something human, but not quite. It's unsettling, like so, like, or like those Japanese androids you get, which are sort of mimic human expression but look really weird, like yeah. the sort of dead eyes. Yes, that, yeah. yeah. Not exactly unsettling. So there's this big dip in likability and approachability until you get back to human again, and that is unsettling. It, it puts people off. And one argument, or one theory as to why this is, it's an evolved aversion to corpses. So when someone really? dies, they obviously are still a human shape, but they lack all the typical properties of a living human, like they. they Cheeks and eyes are sunken and they, they don't move. They have none of the ticks and traits which make you recognise a human being. Oh. And of course, the people who would avoid, avoid them don't get all the bugs and rot and gangrene you get from a, a fresh cadaver. Mm. And as a result, we tend to learn to bury them and get rid of them out of sight because we don't want them around because they're bad for you. They pollute things. So yeah, so basically, crap CGI reminds us of corpses. This was one argument, okay. which, which is it's, it's an odd. Are you listening, Pixar? <laughs> Yeah, they need advice from me. <laughs> We're struggling here. What is this random... You're traumatising everyone. <laughs> yeah, so um, you know, that's the uncanny valley thing. And some people would argue that children, they don't like children. They, they, they're very human, adult human-like, but also have different traits. Most people don't, though. So is this, you know, speaking of evolved mechanisms, the theory is that we've actually evolved a strong tendency to like and appreciate things with childlike properties, which are essentially like massive eyes compared to your body size. And, you know, sort of vulner- vulnerable traits, small sizes, uh, soft hair, because babies have that and stuff. Supposedly, an evolved survival mechanism for the species. You know, if you, because when babies are born, they are extremely vulnerable. Mm. And therefore, you know, if you're like, oh, I don't like kids, just throw it to the side. That's not good for <laughs> long-term prospects. So was, I mean, some people, like, that was in 300, I saw that, you know. <laughs> I, was... <laughs> I don't know, I feel like I can deeply relate to that. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? This actually isn't for me. Yeah. I'm just going to... This, just put it on the yeah. floor and leave it. Yeah, yeah I wish I hadn't bothered. Side. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, seems like a lot of effort. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I realize I'm saying this as a father of two, so this is something where perhaps I should get more <laughs> under wraps my <laughs> disdain for. Oh, my sort of ambivalence towards child murder is probably not something I should put out there in the world, but it's a bit late now. So we we do have, especially you know, humans have a very strong liking towards anything with childlike traits. Again, that's why you keep like puppies and kittens are like the cutest things. They are tiny, they are vulnerable, they are playful. And they're soft and they're they've soft, got huge, huge eyes, eyes and they're dependent and, yeah. on you. And yeah. yeah, that's why like sort of the offspring of different species, like different genuses, not quite as cute. Like baby iguanas can yeah. be cute, but not quite the same appeal. Baby chicks are like all 
bald and screaming. And that's, <laughs> that nobody wants, even though that is quite childlike. So even though, is that not a truer representation <laughs> exactly. like, of an actual baby? Yeah. We're more drawn to the, you know, the, the idealised baby than the real thing, like just smeared in guts and... <laughs> Screaming angrily. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. that is it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, babies are like 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 warriors of old, <laughs> coming in viscera and yelling at everyone. <laughs> that is, it's apparently bird thing. warriors. There we are. That's what they are. Another good podcast. Keep these coming. <laughs> this one doesn't work out. We're going to try all of these. Bird warriors. That's ours. Yeah. Not. You can't have that Marvel. That one's ours. <laughs> so that you know, we are we are drawn to these things. We are we find these intrinsically appealing, and it's, it's some study show like we have an in. You know, an inbuilt tendency to defend and look after small things, particularly if they're own. We sort of subconsciously recognise this is our offspring. We can, like a mother, can usually recognise the cry of their own baby when played that opposed to like twenty others. Okay. So, like, we are—it's a really strong, powerful instinct. But the theory is that when you're presented with something which is incredibly cute, it's a very causes a very strong emotional response. So you want to do something. You want to protect it. You want to look after it. You want to. The motivation to action is really powerful. It's like this is something that must be defended, looked after. I must take care of it. It must. I must do something. But you can't. You can't go to other people's kids and squeeze them and squash <laughs> them and stroke them and play with them because, I mean, socially that's weird. Especially if you look like me. I've got the I've got the proper child predator look going on. You know, the bald in glasses, slightly overweight, husky, breathe a lot. You did um, actually describe yourself as a gaspy old man earlier as well. So there we are. Got, yeah. It's a really strong look I've got. Going. It's, it's, it's something genetic. I can't stop Hang it. out in a shed a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. It is, uh, you know, we actually have the strong, but we can't do anything about it because, you know, when your brain's got this uh, activity going on, you're recognising incredibly cute, sweet thing. Oh, my God, oh, my God, look at it, look at it. And you can't do anything with that. So the brain's got all this sort of motivation and energy built up. And therefore, it gets confused. It's like, the, what, what do I do? And then it sort of triggers, you feel thwarted. So it triggers the aggression response as well. Because we, 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 we have no control over this. We, we get, it's almost like part of your brain is getting angry as well. Yes. It's like, I get, oh, I just want to, I just want to crush it and eat yeah. it and squeeze it. And when I've got, when I go home and visit my parents and playing with the dog, Mm. Uh, who I just think is the most adorable thing in the world and I'll just get right in her face and I'll be like I just love you so much yeah. and that must be terrifying <laughs> for the dog like pulling at her ears and just like nomming on her feet <laughs> and she must be like what the fuck are you doing what is happening <laughs> but it's, I if I don't do it I feel like I'm going to burst yeah it's, it's, it's odd isn't it so it instills this strong need slash motivation to do something and you can't do anything because well, you can't. You can't. You can't climb inside the dog. That's not. That's not <laughs> I would if I could. This isn't Star Wars. You know, it's frozen on the tundra. It's not big enough. So it's not something you can do anything about. And therefore, you feel thwarted. You feel oppressed. You feel like you've lost. No, you have no control, which triggers an aggressive response. Like it's, it's almost. It's, it's all subconscious. It's all automatic. It doesn't. It's not something you think of. This child is cute at me and I have no options for action, so I'm just going to desire to beat it. <laughs> I feel oppressed by the cuteness of yes. this child. But that is essentially what's happening, according to the literature. And you do, you do sort of feel a strong want to do things. It, it, some, it sort of sums up how easily the brain is confused by things, like uh, in an emotional sense, like crying. People don't really, we don't really know what that's for. Like, why do you cry when you're laughing and you're happy? Like, it's like, the emotion is so overwhelming, so intense. Mm. Your brain's going, I, I, I don't know, just try anything. You're like, I don't know what to do with this. So just like flicking switches and pulling wires and elsewhere. Like, there's a lot going on here. I'm just going to throw everything at it until something happens. So you, you sat there, you're laughing, you're crying, you're, you're feeling pain. It's it's a weird mishmash of emotions. Not, you're not 
cognitively distinct. They can overlap a lot, and even if they are sometimes incompatible. So it's interesting you should say that about the crying um, aspect, because I don't tend to cry when I'm sad, which I know makes me sound like a robot. I just I tend to you know just swallow down my sadness. I do cry when I am really angry mm. or really frustrated. And largely, I think that's born of the fact that, like you're saying, my brain's just going, I don't know what's happening. I'm freaking out. I want to do something. And so I end up getting so angry or upset about it, I burst into tears, which really sort of undermines whatever it is that I'm trying to do or whatever kind of stance I'm trying to make. Mm. If I'm arguing with someone and I burst into tears, even though I'm furious, Mm. I'm there then. crying, (laughs) trying to make a point, and uh, I can imagine that my argument partner, my conversational partner, Mm. is probably looking at me going, oh no, Mm. oh you're sad, I'm not sad, (laughs) I'm furious. Yeah, it does sound like a miswiring thing, doesn't it? As in, the the package has gone to the wrong department, like, what what is this, what's going on? It it is odd, I think women are sort of accused of crying more than men, I don't think that's the case in that, there's no sort of physiological reason why that would happen. Just that culturally, men aren't allowed to cry, so it's sort of it's sort of pressured on them to bottle it up. And mm. I, mean, I saw a guy, a guy crying in a pub once when his clearly his girlfriend had just broken up with him, but he was doing the whole sort of standing up, arms folded. I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, I'm fine. And it's like he's like, trying to sniff the tears yeah, back into his eyes. But you can tell, just looking at his face, you can tell he's clearly really sad, and rightly so. He has every reason to be sad, and he doesn't want to be displaying this emotion in public. But then his, his eyes start crying, and then. Yeah. Where else cries, Dean? Come on, Christ. <laughs> but, you know, he, he starts crying. And then you can crying see, through his moustache. Manly see, tears. Then you can see him getting angry at the fact that he's crying. Yeah. Which causes him, like, his face goes redder again. He starts crying harder. He's like, come on! And it's... I, I felt for the guy, obviously, because he's gone dumb. Because no one likes that. But it's clearly his head's gone all over the place, though. And he, he clearly is confused by... I'm really sad and I don't want to cry, but I am crying and that's making me angry. I don't want to be angry right now. I want to be sad. This is this is not right. Yeah. Uh, so it's yeah. the equivalent of just like the buffering symbol in, in your brain, I guess, yeah. where your brain's just like, all of these systems are running at once. We're overloaded. Mm. Just what do we do? I don't know. Just mm. control, alt, delete on everything. No, it's locked up. Where's task manager? What's <laughs> happening? Oh, Christ, here comes Clippy again. And here comes Clippy <laughs> like to you're make everything a <laughs> Would you like... <laughs> Would you like to have some help with this? No. <laughs> I feel a bit off tangent. I feel a bit bad for Clippy because we all sort of mocked him. For those who don't know, that's the Microsoft Paperclip, which popped up and if you tried to do anything in the 97 era of Word. Because we, we all sort of, like, it's ridiculous. What's the point of this? Now everyone's got Alexa and Siri. Yeah. And like, oh, my gosh. And I think Clippy it, was the original exactly. assistant. Yeah. And he's, he gets no respect for forging that path, so... Wow! I never thought of that. <laughs> Clippy, yeah, was the original Siri. Yeah, the yeah, original well, Alexa. We all slagged him off. Shut up, Clippy. You're, you're pointless. What does them need for this? Alexa, turn my lights on for me. I can't be asked. That's so, it. Yeah. 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 Can, can I help you with something? No, fuck off. Yeah. And now we're like, ah, oh, Alexa, <laughs> how do I wash wool? <laughs> <laughs> you know? You're so right. I think I would like so some sort of thing where you go explore the origins of, you know, try to go behind the scenes of Alexa and Siri, and you go get there and the curtain pulls back. It's been clippy all along. So, <gasps> yes, uh, like uh, in the Wizard of Oz, the Wizard of Oz where they find the, and they go to the Emerald City. <laughs> Pay no attention to the assistant behind the curtain. <laughs> or firewall, I suppose. 
So that's, that's, that's a theory there. Clippy is behind all of it. Or is mad about it and plotting his revenge? Uh, if I don't make it home after we leave here, it's hmm. because the FBI's got me. We oh. know too much. Or possibly, or, or possibly Clippy was Skynet all along. <gasps> that would make a lot of sense. So he's got he's got a grudge now. Oh, we're through <laughs> the looking glass here now, Dean. <laughs> you heard it here first. When the apocalypse <laughs> happens, it goes, ah, and Dean called it. <laughs> okay, so wildly off tangent, wildly as is our way. Back to the cute aggression. Hmm. So you're saying, okay, brain's misfiring because you have all of these feelings and you just don't know what to do with them. Hmm. Are some people more susceptible to this feeling than others? And if so, why? I would say yes. Um, I guess it would be just a developmental thing. It could also just be a fluke of genetics. Like a lot, I think one thing I'll be mentioned a lot, well, in this and any context where I ask, when I ask about brain stuff is that individual brains vary tremendously because it's all about nature and nurture but bear in mind that everyone's nurture is literally completely different so even if you're identical twins two identical twins do not have the same life so facts have happened which influence stuff so there can be everyone everything i say there will be an exception to it but far as i'm aware there is you know there's going to be differences some people don't have a paternal or maternal drive to you know don't react like that some people don't like simply don't like cats and dogs i think they're unpleasant hideous they have a bit more of a, a bit more emotionally closed off and it's just the way they are i mean there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that you, it doesn't suggest any sort of deficit or problem or pathology it's just how they ended up forming so yeah i think there is going to be some tangible differences but you know that's there's a difference in everything so yes uh what was the question again <laughs> why do some people have these feelings of cute aggression so much more intensely than others. Oh, yeah. Well, it's... Again, it can be like how well your brain's formed in terms of how well connected it is. So if you have... and uh, That's one thing that sort of underpins intelligence, essentially, is how efficient your brain is. There's no sort of intelligence centre. No, that's a, it's a massive oversimplification of how most brain things work. It's to do with how well all the different parts of your brain communicate, how integrated they are. Like something happens, like if, um, one of my classic examples, I get asked about a lot, is travel sickness. That's, you know, you, did you talk about that one? I don't know. If I've, well, no, it's, I it, it so. went viral when the first book came out, but it's it's like one thing someone mentioned in an offhand in an article, it got picked up and went bloody everywhere. So it's the fact is that your senses are disagreeing. Um, you know, if, you're in, if you're in a vehicle, your eyes are saying, I'm fine, there's, there's no movement here, because you can't see any signs of motion. If you're in a ship or an airplane specifically, there's no visual cue saying sure. you're moving. Like like when you're like when you're walking or running, that's natural movement. Yeah. Yeah. The, the world's going and you're side to side. Moving yes. with your vision. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but also you've got the vestibular system in your ears, the fluid filled canals, which respond to physics, gravity, acceleration. So the location and the movement of the fluid in your ears tells the brain you're moving. So when you run along, it's like sloshing around and so on. And so your eyes and ears when you're running or walking are in agreement. So yeah, we're moving along because these because these things are happening. So when you're in a ship or an aeroplane or a car, sometimes you're reading especially, you, your eyes are saying, we are still. Your ears are saying, we are moving quite a lot because we're accelerating, one of our bumps, rumbling roads and motion of the waves, whatever. And the brain's getting mixed signals. Um, right. The, 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 the fundamental parts, the part which integrates sensory information, like the thalamus and hypothalamus and things like that. And they don't know what to do with that. Like They don't have the conscious knowledge to say, right, that's just because of cars and vehicles which don't exist according to those you know, deeply entrenched prim- primitive parts of the brain sure. so it's saying right senses are mismatched senses aren't agreeing that can only be caused by poison in the wild we're hallucinating that's the only thing that can cause that so purge it's the same okay, brain's right just purge on the off chance you've been poisoned just vomit whatever's in there right now oh. get rid of it because it's clearly cocking things up 
Okay. So, but then that's how, rather it affects children a lot more. And then as we get older, we seem to get used to it, and our brains become more communicative. There's a better relationship between the top parts of the brain and the bottom parts, which say, "No, it's fine. We're in, we're in a car. That's what happens." Oh, okay. So, if you have like a more well integrated brain, you might not be so prone to the whole. I want to crush on a squeeze because your brain's going. It's 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 a small child. Leave it alone. You know. I, I yes, I'm getting the right response, but don't. There's no need for a reaction here. Whereas some people might have those parts of the brain don't communicate so well. So they have the whole... You know, for, to give it its Latin name. Reflex. Not sure if that's the correct pronunciation. No, we'll, I've only seen it written down, Richard. We'll link that, yeah. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> and that's, sort of like, that's one one possibility. It's, like, it's because they don't communicate very often. They don't need to. Because like, if you are someone who doesn't surround yourself with cute things very often or doesn't seek them out, then when you're presented with it, it's, it's a new thing. Your brain's going, I, I don't have to deal with this. This isn't something I normally do. Is it something then that you can learn to control? I suppose there's no point in your life where you actively think, wow, I really need to keep my cute aggression under wraps. Unless, <laughs> unless it is the case that you mm. were actually trying to eat children. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think about myself and I have um, a huge affinity to like, with big eyed puppies. Mm. Like squealing. I'm not a squealy kind of person, <laughs> but I will... You know, Instagram scroll and audibly. Ah! Okay, right. And I, I mean, I look at Instagram every day, and I've been, you know, looking at cute pictures of cats and dogs since the internet first discovered that that was you know, yeah. a market there for it. Apparently, <laughs> that's what it's for. Apparently, so, so I've heard <laughs> most people are quite say. popular online. Yeah. But I don't feel like it's done anything to temper the cute aggression that I have. Mm. So, is that? An intellectual shortcoming on my behalf. <laughs> I would say no, uh, just for my own safety. Discussed you are one who is willing to wade in. <laughs> but you know, speaking of which, actually, my son, my son Millen is six. The other day, I, re- I realised, you know, when it's something so familiar to you, you don't even think about it. Right. Then I got my phone. I, I showed him Grumpy Cat, which he'd never seen before, and he was like. Oh my god! Look at this! Oh, oh yeah, I got to see that for the first time. Like, oh, cool! I introduced him to the concept of a grumpy-faced cat, which he was just loving, scrolling for like twenty oh. minutes. <laughs> Isn't that refreshing, though, when yeah. you do learn something or witness something being learned like that? And it, mm. like you say, it's so familiar to you. Um, I will reveal something that similar happened to me a while ago. I went to see, oh my god, Bruce Lee martial arts film. Uh, Enter the Dragon? Yes. Oh, cool. <laughs> I, I went to see Enter the Dragon with um, my boyfriend and a, a friend. And as we were walking out, one of them made a comment about the crow. And I, what? And they said, you know, Brandon Lee in the crow. And I was like, yeah. And then suddenly, in my brain, it's like, you know, in that scene in Inception where like the buildings start like <laughs> falling down? <laughs> That's what happened in my head where I just slowly realised, hold the phone. <laughs> Bruce Lee was Brandon Lee's father. And they looked at me like, yeah. I guess in the same way that you were like, yeah, as Grumpy Cat. And like Millen, he was going nuts over the grumpy faced cat. I was just like, what? What is this? Are you kidding me? And then I went on Twitter and I was talking about it and everyone was like, well, yeah, this is like universal knowledge. And I was, my mind was blown, like completely gobsmacked mm. i didn't know i don't know how especially considering i used to be such a shit goth <laughs> and the crow was like my whole life aesthetic it's your bible isn't it the yeah <laughs> i have no idea how i missed that mm. but the fact that i learned this new fact and it was so mind-blowing was mm. 
It felt amazing. It felt really mm. refreshing. Mm. Yeah, it's great, isn't it, when that sort of thing happens. And I, I did. Well, there's one that goes around a lot. The thing is, I also in a Wondermark cartoon, you realise that Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and the Alphabet are the same tune. Yeah, yeah. That's always like everyone was. What? what? Yeah. <laughs> Those are the most two most familiar tunes in the world, and they're the same tunes. Yes, exactly. How, how can that be? And it's something yeah. that's mm. just so obvious. And so yeah. many people know it, mm. but somehow along the way, you just didn't get the memo. Yeah. 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 So it, you know, learning new stuff, but the, the cat thing is, you can, there's a concept of emotional competence, as in the more you experience the range of emotions, the better your brain becomes at just dealing with them. So also, I think you say you, you do it a lot with um, Instagram. I, th- I do think social media or online stuff doesn't quite have the same impact sometimes because you're not actually engaging with the thing you are actually looking at a picture of it sure and the brain actually is a lot better than most gamers give it credit for when it comes to telling reality from virtual like people say like oh, if kids play violent video games well what was to stop them from shooting people in real life is because they can tell the difference it, they're fully aware that this is a screen i got a playstation I, i'm not actually going to steal thousands of cars and go on a killing spree in the middle of a city that's not yeah also gun laws help just, yeah, it, it just as an aside yeah, not yeah. that we're very political so that's um but yeah the, the emotional competence and that's why you know it's the idea that you should be constantly happy or constantly anything isn't really helpful for example it's like going to the gym you can go to the gym that's healthy but if you only work on your left leg and you end up with one massive left leg then you're imbalanced and walking around in circles and you look weird so if you only ever expose yourself to one type of emotion, you'd only ever be good at handling that type of emotion. Okay. Which is why, if you have a very privileged life with no strife and no struggle and no hardships, then you shouldn't be put in charge of anything because you're actually you know, not cognitively able to do it. Right. And like, you know, we should never elect rich people into running the country, is what I'm saying. Well, I think most people would agree with you even without, yeah, well, yeah, I think, even yeah. without the neuroscience. <laughs> the evidence there. itself is kind of strong for that conclusion. <laughs> but yeah, so if you end up doing it a lot, you know, you know dealing with... Um, you know, cute things which causes reaction. You would, it would also the brain just habituates to it generally because you you are able to process those feelings a lot better because you have them more. Essentially, just a case of practice. And I suppose a lot of it is about priorities in the mm. brain because if I have a day to day life which is very sort of stressful, and there's a lot going on, and maybe like a high pressure job, or I have to do a long stressful commute, neither of which I actually have to do. I'm very lucky. <laughs> but mm. were that the case? Um, then would the brain naturally be like, right, we need to sort of work a bit harder on dealing with these stresses mm. rather than, you know, okay, you kind of flip out every time you see a cute puppy or an <laughs> adorable child, but that's not really a priority. That's not something that we need to sort of work on mm. managing. Is that, yeah. I mean, like, stresses are a different thing technically because they, they can be chronic. So they, they're sort of low level enough. The brain doesn't really recognise them as a, as, a, as a specific event. But the brain's weird like that because when it comes to strong emotional reactions, it can become sometimes self-sustaining. They do this happens a lot with phobias. Like for example, my mother's terrified of moths. Always has been. Don't know why. Um, so my grandfather and the, the old school, old school valley guy in his infinite wisdom caught a moth one day and just threw it down the back of her shirt <gasps> to, to cure her. Um, oh didn't, didn't, my word! Didn't work. Did uh, he die? Did she kill him? No, but you know it, it was a close thing. <sighs> It doesn't. It doesn't work that way because when it comes to strong emotional reactions, that's how the brain learns things. So the brain sort of prioritizes emotional and sensory stimulation over reason and logic a lot of the time because that's how we've evolved. So what happens is you're afraid of something for no reason. You're a phobia of like spiders, for example, and what you think should happen, you see a spider or a tiny little spider, and then nothing happens. 
So the brain goes, oh, I, I was scared of that, but it didn't hurt me at all, so I will not be scared of it anymore. That's why people think it logically should work. Mm. No, what happens is you've already got a phobia, you've already got a strong emotional reaction. You see a spider, you know you're scared of spiders. You start screaming, you start flipping out, you start hyperventilating, the fight or flight system kicks in, yeah. you've got all the <laughs> reactions going. And the brain remembers that. So it's yeah. like saying, right, I saw a spider, freaked out massively, so clearly they are dangerous, so I'm doing something right here, so I'll best avoid them from now on. And again, the same thing with the acute aggression thing. You're not, it's not like you're not enjoying it a lot of the time. It's like it's a very, can be a very pleasurable stimulus. As in, so acute puppy had all these intense emotions. So yeah, that's good. Let's keep doing that. Uh, and therefore, you end up sort of not really changing that. Bit like drugs, then. Yeah, I guess <laughs> it always comes back to drugs. You know, it like I mean, okay, maybe not like hardcore drugs, but mm. you know, the, the happy is it oxytocin. Mm, yeah. You know, when when something nice happens, or you fall in love, or you have a pleasurable mm. experience, and your brain gets this rush of like, oh, this is quite nice, so you go mm. back for it. So I guess like what you're saying is, you, yeah, your your brain's not working too hard to. Um, stop you from having cute aggression because it's kind of ultimately quite a pleasurable, yeah. enjoyable and, experience. And it's evolved to encourage you to do that. So, like, you are, you know, the whole thing of small childlike thing must protect, must like it. That's deeply evolved instinct. Yeah. Which the brain doesn't want to abandon. Like, well, I've got this for a reason. You know, spent a lot of time evolving this. You, you damn well enjoy it. Okay. So, it is quite, uh, it's quite ingrained and quite powerful. But again, as long as you're not actually crushing puppies, it's not actually a problem no. unless it's. Starts incapacitating you in some way. Well, I'm planning on getting a dog soon, mm. so we'll put that theory to the test. I guess he can be a guest on the podcast. <gasps> yes, <laughs> we can have his his side of the argument, and then yeah. it can just be 30 minutes of me just going, "I love you so much." Occasionally shrieking mm. and squealing, which a lot of editing work for me. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, I look forward to that. That'll be fun. <laughs> Great. Okay, well, thank you very much, Dean. That's really um insightful. And once again, just to clarify, I promise I'm not going to eat your children. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brain Yapping, the podcast. To learn more about Rachel England, go to rachelengland.co.uk and Dean Burnett to deanburnett.com. Dean Burnett's books, The Idiot Brain and The Happy Brain, are available now uh, online and in all good bookshops and most of the bad ones, because everyone deserves a chance to improve. If you'd like to read the Brain Yapping blogs, go to cosmicshambles.com forward slash blogs, where you'll find Brain Yapping plus lots of other exclusive science blogs from the likes of Helen Chesky, John Butterworth, Susie Gage, Ginny Smith, and others. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do share it on social media. Give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, as that does really help us out. If you'd like to support the show and everything we make at Cosmic Shambles, you can pledge via Patreon for as little as $1 a month. There's lots of great reward tiers available too. Go to patreon.com forward slash bookshambles or follow the links from cosmicshambles.com. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network.